And on this field, we once made a movie about dreams, of baseball in years gone by, and much more. A tale of love, family, character. The treasure of a single day. America has embraced the heroes of our youth for over a century. Those who ran on grass so green it took your breath away, touching bases as white as clouds. Tonight, we pause time. In the warmth of August, two major league teams gift us a forever moment. The White Sox, the Yankees. Come to our field of dream and play ball. One of the most iconic movies ever, uh, shot in Dyersville, Iowa, The Field of Dreams. And if that isn't part of our mental condition, I don't know what is. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Scott Casper. Filling in for Nick this week is Price of a Hug founder, Scott Bruxport. This is St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Every week, we talk about a topic that many Iowans face every day, and that's mental illness. We feature the expertise of doctors, therapists, and specialists who truly do understand the challenges that we all face. And as a reminder, our program airs two times Saturday mornings, 4 to 5, and a little later on in the morning at 10 to 11 a.m. on Iowa's Hope 940 and online at talktherapytmhs.com. We appreciate all of you that listen on radio and those that listen online, however you get this show. It does mean a lot to us that you do. Join in for the conversation on these important life topics. And as we like to say, Iowa, we're listening. And again, Nick is out this week, but we brought in Price of a Hug founder Scott Bruxford to fill in, as he will do a little later on in the month as well. And from the Five Talents Financial Management Group Studios, again, I'm Scott Casper. We welcome you to this program. Our topic this week, Scotty, would you do the intro of the topic, please? Yeah, our topic this week is gender <laughs> invalidation and mental health outcomes. Our program proposes that invalidation is a pervasive manifestation of as expressed through disbelief minimalization and denial. Invalidation is embedded within our interpersonal and institutionalized arrangements and interactions. It's an element of gender-based violence as well as a condition that enables gender-based violence. Mm. Invalidation serves to inscribe upon the bodies of women through the mental and physical health deficits of the gender-based violence that it enables and as well as through the denial of testimonial legitimacy and the consequent withholding of resources, support, and services. So what we're talking about, words, by the way, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a lot to wrap your arms. I want you to put yourself in the position of those that are being invalidated, okay? Because therein lies the rub. That's where the mental health outcomes start appearing, okay? So if you choose to invalidate another, okay, uh, it's, it's amazing that... Um, you may not feel it, but they do, right? Absolutely. And uh, this is the thing that's so important to me is that uh, growing up as a kid of the 60s, 70s, even the 80s, um, times have been not nearly quick enough for some or even most. And that's why I wanted to talk about this today. I think it's an outstanding topic. Um, our synopsis really is to inform the audience, you folks that are listening, on how gender invalidation can result in increased risk of mental health diagnosis and substance abuse. Before we get any further, I think we'd like to introduce our, uh, on, on the uh, newsmaker hotline, Julius Vercele. <laughs> Was that close? 
she she's probably going to correct you a little bit on that one, but she she always sounds better when she says it. Scott, I'd like you to introduce her. Give us the uh, her her bio, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So Julia Francis Baratella, she is a Des Moines-based fine arts photographer. Julia has been creating narrative photography since 2010. In 2013, Veritella received her Bachelor of Fine Arts from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where she studied painting, drawing, and photography. A native Angelino, Veritella began showing her work at Beverly Hills Art Studio and most recently had a solo show at the Lapeer Hotel Penthouse showcasing her underwater photography. Scott, you have to see those photos. Oh, I'd love to. Oh, they're gorgeous. Her precise compositions, coupled with her signature foreboding darkness, make her unique style as a passionate portraitist. Portraitist. Julia, yeah, butchered that one. Julia continues (laughs) to add her personal body of work while shooting with clients through Price of a Hug in Des Moines, Iowa as well. And so from Los Angeles to Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah, she moved here in January, actually. I'm sure she'll tell you a little bit more about it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, quite the situation that got us to meet. And it's just a blessing to have someone of her talent shooting with Price of a Hug as well in the area. I got to believe it is. Julie, are you there? I'm here. That's much better. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kira. Kira Jones, our producer, doing a masterful job of inventing this program even as we speak. Thank you. All right. So, Julia, talk to us a little bit about making the move from L.A., which is a a bastion, if you will, a sea of photographers, but many don't have the talent that you possess. Thank you so much. Well, uh, just like for many people, so many during the pandemic, and I really was evaluating what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. I was looking for a slower pace of life and I was really drawn to everything I had to offer. And it helped that I actually had friends in town who I went to college with. Oh, um, here in Des Moines? Here in Des Moines. So I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago right. and one of my best friends graduated a year ahead of me. And um, when he graduated, I came down to visit and then I came back for his wedding and I had a great time. I really liked it. So, Julia, talk to us a little bit about how you fit into the conversation and our conversation and our topic today really is gender invalidation and mental health outcomes. Talk to us how you fit in. Um, Well, it's a great question. I'm pansexual, so I'm a member of the LGBTQI plus community. And then Scott and I are also in a relationship. So we've been um, navigating basically being in a relationship with a non-binary person and a pansexual person. And that dynamic has worked really, really well for us. That's interesting, Scott. The, um, one of the first things that you told me and shared about yourself was your sexuality. And having that out there means there's one less burden that you must bear alone. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it was heavy. We talked about it a little bit back on the last show that I was on, Scott, but you know, my time as an athlete, it was kind of difficult to voice that I was non-binary or even bisexual before I had came to the realization that I was non-binary. And carrying that and suppressing that, it definitely does get heavy, and it ties in really well with our topic today of gender invalidation, without a doubt. Do you think that what um, at the time, not being as we traditionally call it, being out, right, uh, did that contribute to your drinking and drug use? It absolutely did. Um, You know, I used, uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit in private conversations, but I used to just kind of disappear from what was really going on. And what was really going on was that I was too scared to be my genuine self. And Mm. 
it's it was easier for me at the time to just use and not feel than to think about the fact that I buddy who the real me was. Well, you know, to further describe this for our listeners, to understand the experience of a, a bisexual people, one must first understand the basics of sexuality. Can you describe that? Yeah, so, I mean, genders describe social representation of biological reproductive processes. While one's gender identity is based on personal identities or the internal perception of one's gender. And you can research a little bit more about that on the Safe Zone Project as well. But gender is what most people attach words like man and woman to. But it can encompass a variety of identities such as agender, who is one who does not experience gender identity. Polygender, um, one who experiences multiple gender identities, and gender fluid can experience a combination of gender identities depending on the day. Hmm. Sexual orientation, it's the sexual, romantic, and emotional, spiritual attraction that one might experience, often depending on which gender or genders that they are attracted to. Straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, and asexual are all examples of different sexual orientations. And it's a wide variety and it exists in addition to those listed as well. Let's go back to our newsmaker hotline guest. That's Julia. And uh, you guys, by the way, are getting ready to go to Chicago, right? We're leaving right after the show. Really? Up and early at him. <laughs> Julia made coffee this morning, though, so I can't complain. <laughs> All right. So, Julia, what we're talking about, obviously, is something you've lived as well. When did you first know that um, there was something and I don't want to say different in the term of being different, but you were uh, finding it difficult to be a round peg in a square hole. <laughs> um, so I, growing up in Los Angeles, it was definitely more aggressive than some other places in the country. And when I was 14, I realized that I might not be straight. And for like one second, it was really terrifying but I was very fortunate to grow up in a family who never really said anything negative about, about other sexualities to me. So I was able to pretty quickly be like, okay, that's fine. And I realized that I was bisexual. And this was before I'd ever heard the term pansexual. So then once I learned of that term, I realized it was so much more after how I feel. When you first uh, identified... Okay. In other words, give yourself the process and then the, the outcome of identifying as pansexual. Was that a, a, a freeing uh, experience for you? Or um, describe the difference in your life before, during, and now, uh, what is obviously after you're living your life. Mm. I mean, I do have a unique experience because most people's coming out story starts with being closeted for a while, kind of like how Scott describes mm-hmm. their story. Um, for me, it was pretty fast. I gave myself some time to kind of really like fully fledge out how I was feeling. And then I came out to my family and my close friends. Um, I was bisexual in high school. And then I was older and I learned what pansexual was. I actually did really have, I did have like a very freed feeling because it just described my sexuality so well that I you know, when you like find something that really describes you, you're like, wow, nothing, no part of this is me being weird or different. This is actually like a real thing, right. <laughs> like a valid sexuality. And that describes me to a T. So, um, and also, I mean, for those who 
pansexual means not being limited in sexual choice with regard to biological sex, gender, or gender identity. Okay. And that's a very free place to come from, too. So when, for me, when I'm romantically interested in someone, it just has nothing to do with their gender. So very free and open place to be approaching dating from. Now, pansexual and bisexuality really do overlap, don't they? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two, Scott. And, you know, just for our listeners to get a little bit more clear idea, bisexuality, or it doesn't necessarily have a one all-inclusive definition, but the term bisexual generally refers to a person who experiences attraction to people of their gender that is their people outside of their own gender. This experience of bisexuality can be shared by pansexual individuals as well. The two terms overlap in many areas as pansexual people experience attraction regardless of gender, as Julia had mentioned. Typically, one differentiates between the two identities with respect to how an individual identifies themselves. Some bisexual people could technically be called pansexual and vice versa, but the most inclusive uh, practice is to respect each individual community as they define define their own experiences, Scott. And and what we're talking about is life's experiences. And to um, put everything into compartments, okay, sometimes it can be healthy. Other times it can be healthy in terms of mental health. When we come back, we're going to describe and dive into that a little bit more as we are joined by Scott Bruxford in studio, our special guest host. He'll be back again later in the month to co-host yet another show while Nick is gone. And uh, we're going to be exploring a lot of different things with Scott because he brings a wealth of uh, knowledge, <clears throat> excuse me, and also a great number of friends in the medical community and those in the community as a whole. Uh, a, a successful photographer, videographer, worked at Channel 5 once upon a time here in Des Moines. Uh, you know, and, and, and news has events as to what the photographer should be shooting, which stifles your creativity. I get that, Okay. <laughs> you think I didn't? Boom, there it is. All right, do me a favor, stand by. Julia's going to stay with us as well on the Newsmaker Hotline. This is our field of dreams. You're listening to St. Gregory's Talk Therapy only on Iowa's Hope 940. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. There's more with Nick Learhoff and Scott Casper right here on Iowa's 940 for St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Iowa, we're listening. I came to St. Gregory very reluctantly at my all-time worst, physically, emotionally, and mentally. But I gave my best effort to these new things in my life as I saw hope in this complete approach. I'm at the point now that I feel my strongest and best ever, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I felt quite certain God was orchestrating everything. St. Gregory Recovery Center. Recovery starts here. Relevantradio.com slash St. Gregory. Welcome back to St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the Mental Health Show. Coming to you live from the uh, uh, the studios here in Des Moines, Iowa. Appreciate you listening, by the way. By the way, those of you at Mayo Clinic that are uh, listening to this program, and I know you do because we see who's listening, and we appreciate that. And thanks for the information we're constantly getting from Mayo. That's the uh, it's it's like a library that's constantly being written throughout the week, throughout the days, throughout the months. I did that backwards, but the point of constantly thinking about mental health. Okay, our topic this uh, on this particular day, gender invalidation, mental health outcomes. Scott Bruxford, our guest uh, in studio, our guest host, I should say, and our newsmaker hotline guest is Julia Francis Vericelli. Uh, You guys are going to be heading to Chicago to shoot a uh, 
a bunch of video and still photos, right? Yeah. So we're doing some event photography in Chicago. We're leaving today, shooting that tomorrow night, and then coming right back home to Des Moines. I've got, a, I've got a Barnstormer game tomorrow night, so who do I get uh, shooting at the Barnstormer game? Uh, I believe that Drew might be there, but I'm pretty sure Drew's working at the State Fair like 10 hours a day. He's Ugh. going to New York for his birthday at the end of the month. Well, so he had him. to, Yeah, he had to go He had to go get some fair money real quick. Well, that's exactly when people go to the fair. <laughs> hey, it works. <laughs> hey, it's better making money at the fair than spending money at the fair. That's a fact. I'm going to the fair on the 22nd with a buddy of mine, Van Harden, his beautiful wife, Becky. And we're going to see um, the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Michael McDonald's mm -hmm. back with the group. It's always hairball for me at the fair. Is it really? Hairball. Yep. <laughs> you, Julia, don't judge me for that. I know you don't know what hairball is yet. I'll, ex I'll explain I it later. Don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let that go right now. Our topic, again, is uh, gender invalidation. The harm it can cause if you are invalidating uh, another person, okay, for whatever you believe their beliefs are or their feelings are you are absolutely helping to determine a mental health outcome. And generally that's a negative. Can you describe that? Because uh, it's, it's process of labeling, but those words have so much meaning, right? They really do. And so Scott, I identify as non-binary, meaning I view myself as a man and a woman. And growing up in Iowa, I experienced a pretty conservative upbringing, I would say. <laughs> You know, I, I only knew one openly gay individual in a 50-mile radius. And as I learned more about my sexuality, you know, as I grew older and learned to be a more genuine version of myself, with all that said, I still experience gender invalidation as on the surface, as you can probably tell, sitting here in the studio with you, Scott, I appear to most as pretty masculine. Yep, and yep, yep. in my experience, you know, when I'm only viewed as a man and I don't have my feminine identity validated, you know, in those moments, I kind of feel a little bit less confident and a little bit half seen, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, Scott, in your experience, you know, just being here in the greater Des Moines area, how have you seen it grow to a place of greater acceptance of individuals like myself and others belonging to non-traditional genders as male, female? Well, let me start my story in relation of, you know, the difference or facts. That the fact is that there are folks out there that see life differently than I do. And that started in Minneapolis going to broadcasting school. And then when I moved to Iowa city, it became even more relevant, even more prevalent. And, uh, I think Iowa city at the time had the second highest, uh, gay population outside of San Francisco per capita. Okay. That's per capita. So you got to compare apples to apples, et cetera. But, uh, it became evident to me that, that Iowa city was more than just classrooms. It was the experience of living the life amongst folks uh, of, of all genders. And, you know, I became more sensitive to saying or not saying things that would be, uh, destructive for another, because when you are cutting down another person by, uh, describing them in, uh, ineffectually, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because it's, it's, it's the knowledge that's niggling away at your brain. Um, and you choose not to use what you know, and therein lies the rub. You are affecting the life of another person, right? Absolutely. And, you know, talking about affecting the life of another person, one of the more validating experiences that I've personally had on both of my genders that I identify with is been dating Julia in this early go at it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she just really makes me feel seen as an entire human being. And, you know, Julia, are there any intentional approaches that you take to dating me knowing that I do carry both masculine and feminine identities? 
you know, it feels so natural to embrace and love and give attention to your masculine and feminine identities. But I do also make a conscious effort to be aware of my expressions of love and how they're received. Mm -hmm. I found myself really diving into the way that gender norms have affected my behaviors and relationships. You know, I've been, well, is this expression of love gendered? Is some vestige of internalized misogyny informing this compliment that I give you? But the way that you've embraced my balance of masculine and feminine energies has encouraged me to give myself permission to drop all gender expectations that I previously put on myself so I can approach you with both of my energies. And knowing that your dating history was very heteronormative, I want to be free and open enough with my expressions of love that you feel like your masculine identity and especially, especially your feminine identity are honored and appreciated. Like I want you to feel loved as a woman and as a man, knowing that you haven't had that space in a relationship. Before. Absolutely. It's really limit what we call minority stress, Scott. And there was a study that I read the other day and the data from this study suggested that identity and validation is a unique form of minority stress. And it especially affects non-binary individuals. And these have significant implications for social and emotional well-being. And with these things in mind, how might you see those stressors, man, athletes specifically? We talked about this on the last show right. I was on, Scott. How, how might they be worried about how their brand or image might be affected by something like coming out? Because as an athlete, you truly do have to worry about your brand. And with the Olympics in full go right now, you're also thinking about endorsements and how do you make money as an athlete? And how are these things considered? You know, I want to talk about a guy named Roman Gabriel. Yeah. Okay. He was the first NFL player to have his uh, significant other sitting in the stands in a fur coat and a you hat. You mentioned that down at the the other day over a burger, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But so he was the first, but the there is a current player who is brave enough to come out and, as a player. And, um, I gotta believe there's a lot of pressure for athletes to, uh, and and I'm gonna use it up if you will to to possess and pr um, project out that masculine approach or the masculine. The, they it's the way they want people to see them, right? Absolutely, and it's a, that heart of competition. You get that that heat of competition going, and you can you can really get caught up in a lot of masculine energy, especially in our male dominated sports and. One of the really nice transitions that I made, Scott, is transitioning to being an artist and no yeah. longer an athlete. It's a really still place to live. It's a really still place to operate in my workspace. And Julia and I, we definitely come from different worlds. You know, something I with my brand was being an athlete was honestly to be viewed by my teammates, fans, and even opponents. Those student sections can be pretty rude in college basketball games. Oh, really? And, you know, if anyone knew that I was gay and an athlete, that was scary to me. It was my brand. I was horrified of, honestly, how others were going to perceive me. And Julia, did you ever experience any that with your brand in the art community and as an artist regarding your sexual? I've been so fortunate that I was drawn to a creative field where, in my experience, being gay doesn't really negatively affect a person's brand. There are so many well-known, famous, very talented gay members of the art community. Mm -hmm. But I will say, though, that I really feel like I'm one of the most privileged members of the LGBTQI plus community being a white, straight-presenting, small female. It's unintentional on my part, but my appearance and the privilege that comes along with it allows me to fully be myself with, you know, really avoiding scrutiny. I got to believe the media plays uh, an important part into the attention that is given to athletes surely it does absolutely we saw it last 
as the White Sox uh, beat up on the Yankees at the Dyersville. Um, I don't know that there's a more masculine game out there than Major League Baseball, but <clears throat> how many of them are closeted, you know what I'm saying, and, and are afraid to come out because it could affect their their personal brand. And we're seeing that now with the name, image, and likeness on the collegiate level where young athletes can now be uh, selling their name, their image, their likeness, and uh, building up. So i got to believe that it may be compounding the issues even more so now today than it was, say, this time two weeks ago, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, before NIL uh, was uh, allowed to start taking place. So as a professional athlete, i got to believe that that was something you're constantly worried about, yeah? You have to be, and, you know, you're... You're looking at endorsement deals, sponsors, you know, shoe companies, the athletic wear companies. And if your brand doesn't align with the company's brand, you're going to be less likely to sign a deal with them. Mm -hmm. So these are all major considerations that athletes have to make in addition to maintaining their mental health, health and their physical health. And there, there's a lot of things that are placed on athletes and it makes it tricky. And, you know, I do think that the media definitely plays into that, Scott. Oh, you time. know, we, we don't see... <laughs> large media companies following around artists. We follow around athletes and we get really detailed into their personal lives. And, you know, you probably have a little more insight on that, but I think we're so captivated by these athletes that we want to know what they're doing at every second of the day because that's the fame that they hold. So it's kind of a dangerous game that we play though because you get real, real invested in their personal lives, which can make a little bit less space for your personal life. Um, but, you know, kind of narrowing that scope in a little bit, Scott, back into our topic, not all of us have this attention that high profile athletes have, right? You know, not all of us are big name people and, but there are external viewpoints placed on all of us. And these come with stressors through friends, family, peers, coworkers, you know, that list goes on and on and invalidation of gender, regardless of the scale, it's shown to affect individuals, mental health. And that's the, you know, that's the very basis of our conversation. How does mental health, and it is oppressing, right? It's oppressive. Is that a word? Oppressive? Yeah, oppressive. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, when, when, you feel, when you feel like your whole self isn't seen, it makes you feel like less of yourself. Right, so you're oppressed. Um, and, and that affects of ourselves, ability to connect uh, relationships, business, professional, or otherwise. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it really does affect a personal life as well. So you owe it to yourself to take a good long look. And by the way, therapy is available to assist you in that walk through. Uh, you know, I don't care if you're 50 years old or 60 years old or 70 year old, 70s, 70 old. Here we got it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to question, to uh, understand your feelings is very helpful in uh, self-identification. Okay, so we're going to continue our conversation. Scott Bruxford in studio and Julie on the uh, live line. Appreciate that opportunity to uh, anchor in our conversation today. When we come back, we're going to talk about shifting the approach. In other words, uh, those of you who are suffering from substance abuse or uh, 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 any type of, of uh, thing that is not natural, anything that you do to try to uh, change reality, uh, change your feelings, numb yourself. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that on the other side. So do me a favor, stay tuned. It's St. Gregory's Talk Therapy coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa, and Iowa's Hope 940. Stay tuned. 
St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, The Mental Health Show, will continue after this commercial timeout. The folks at St. Gregory were vital in helping me to get my brother into rehab. They were not only supportive of him, but of our whole family. They truly saved all of our lives with their love and kindness. Because of the hard work they helped my brother do, we regained a valued, healthy, and incredible part of our family. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. RelevantRadio.com slash St. Gregory. Setting the new standard for recovery. Welcome back to St. Gregory. The Mental Health Show. The two Scots in studio today, Nick Learhoff with a week off. Robert filling in for him. He's the founder of Price of a Hug. Uh, look for him online, priceofahug.com. Priceofahug.com? Yeah, what is that? What, what is Price of a Hug? Price of a Hug. It is my multimedia production company that I run, uh, Des Moines based. We shoot in our studio out at the Barnum Factory on 2nd Avenue. Um, started it about 11 months ago. Uh, my partner, Drew, and I, we started getting a photo of a houseless individual named Hector and he told me that he loved his photo so much and it made him feel more human again that I took that time to talk to him and he gave me a hug so as I self-taught myself photography as I learned more I just gave away photo shoots charged one hug and that allowed me to shoot enough people to get the press love here that. we are and Julia uh, joins us as well you guys are going to be Chicago for a uh uh, an art installation is that correct or yeah so it's a it's an art uh it's an art company that's, uh, they're doing like a showcase of local artists. Uh, there's going to be vendor free live music performances. So nice. Julie and I are tag teaming it. It makes it nice that I could shoot some video. She does the photography and it's a nice one two punch. Maybe you could, uh, Julia, make him, uh, make him, make him take you to, uh, Lowry's, the steak joint down on Ohio street, downtown Chicago. It's the family that owns Lowry's seasoned salt and they have the rib and the best spinning salad, the best cream spinach oh my goodness sakes it is uh You're making me hungry monumental uh, uh experience it truly is so julie promise me you'll come back with a fine report on the prime rib from Lowry's. <laughs> <laughs> that you know it you know julia i do have a, a nice leading in question for you speaking of our lgbtq plus community you know there was a recent study on the extension of minority stress theory Symptoms of depression were found most severe among non-binary participants and transgender women. You know, on topic with gender invalidation, those are definitely considerations within that study. And these populations, myself included, have spoken out and reported that having their gender invalidated is correlated to these mental health outcomes. So, Julia, for, for our home and for our, anyone in our Des Moines community that might be interested in you know, learning more about our LGBTQ plus community. Can we start that discussion on how to learn more as an individual so that we can continue to be more inclusive? I think the best piece of advice I can give is to be respectful of everyone, regardless of a difference in belief. You know, another person's lifestyle isn't wrong just because you wouldn't want it for yourself. It's such a small thing to just use the pronouns that a person prefers, but it makes such a huge difference to that person that, you know, why not just be respectful of everyone? And I think it, it all starts with challenging oneself to be open, accepting, and curious. If you're coming from a place of not understanding the community, then just be respectful, and I would recommend consulting Google before asking individuals, like, very personal questions. There are 
right ways and wrong ways to ask a personal question. There are. And I'll tell you, you guys run a tight ship over here in the studio, Scott. Because I wasn't in here for more than 10 minutes and Kira asked what my pronouns were. And it was just so welcome. You did? I didn't hear this. Yeah, it was. What, where was I? Uh, space, you, I guess. You were telling a story about <laughs> Twister or something, I think, Scott. But, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed as well is the, the presence of pronoun usages in social posts, which is an excellent way for our younger gen and even our older populations that use social media to check on people's pronouns on Instagram's bio. I know that I have mine listed. Julia has hers as well. And, Julia, I know that you're transitioning to this life of being a little bit of a content creator freelance photographer from your fine arts uh normal work that you do in the studio in the content world i've seen a lot more social media presence for individuals that are owning their sexuality and wearing it proudly i know that i made a post on national coming out day last year when i came out as bisexual and it was just really empowering and it felt like a safe space to do that on social media when mm -hmm. i wasn't necessarily comfortable yet to have all of those face-to-face -face conversations and Julia, as a photographer, what could a photo shoot do for an individual's confidence, especially when using photography on social media to share or send a message? It can be so liberating and empowering and fun for clients to celebrate their sexual or gender identity with a photo shoot. It's my absolute favorite thing to shoot someone and capture how they really want to be seen. And it's a huge mm. confidence boost for the clients when they feel seen that way. Um, and then they feel comfortable sharing those images when they feel good about how they're being represented. So when you took the photographer, uh, when you took the picture of the guy, the first guy that says, Hey, yep. and just said, I'll give you a hug, mm -hmm. you know, or that's the price. Give me a hug. Uh, or please may I have a hug. I don't want to be too, dim but <laughs> what he probably had not really seen was himself in quite some time. So that became his favorite picture of himself because he hadn't had one taken. Nobody had taken the time. It's one of my favorite things about photography, to be honest, Scott. And, you know, I started it eight days after I checked out of the emergency room with suicidal ideation. And photography, honestly, it just gave me a way to look at the beauty in everything that was around me. And it's, it's amazing that you can capture moments with people and through a photograph, you can always remember that moment. And that's what makes it special. So I think Julie is right on cue, you know, and we, we do offer a discount to anybody in the L plus community down at the price of a hug studio. So right. if anybody wanted to capture those moments, we, we love to make that happen without a doubt. You shoot weddings and Julie, what, what's your favorite thing to shoot? I understand your underwater photography is exceptional. Exceptional. Oh, thank you. I love shooting portraits of any kind. So it's really fun to work on my own. For my fine art practice, I do exclusively portraits. And then it's really fun to work because it's always some version of a portrait. See, for me, photography can be really good or really bad. There's a movie called Harold and Maude. It's a uh, May, what, I don't even know, old, older lady, okay, and a younger man. And he, Harold walks into her uh, rather modest home and notices on the walls are all these picture frames and there's no pictures in them. And he says to Maude, he says, why are there no pictures in your picture frames? And she thinks about it. She said, I'd much rather have pictures painted by my memory than by that of Kodak with silver nitrate. Think about that. What does that say about our topic today? Because we do project out an image of, of the way we hope people see us. 
but generally people come away with that first meeting with somebody with a completely different idea than what you were even trying to project, right? Oh, absolutely. And you know, you can, you could just do a little background research on things like implicit bias and we, we carry those things with us. And that definitely plays into the anxieties that individuals feel because we know that individuals carry implicit biases or first impressions that are unconscious a lot of the time. And if somebody's going to judge me no. off of my external appearance, cause that's the first thing that they see that can bring some anxiety. You know, I have a lot of tattoos. I, I usually wear it, uh, a non-traditional outfit that's say not necessarily always business casual, right. but I've grown to a place where I'm not necessarily worried about how other people are going to perceive me. Yeah. Um, Julio probably tell you, I carry a, around a lot of Gemini energy a lot of the time, <laughs> but you know, I'm just comfortable in my own skin and that's just a great place to be in. But I wasn't always comfortable in my skin. You know, back when I was using substances, it, it was something that I was running from the fact that I wasn't comfortable in my own. Mm. And, you know, substances, we can get really deep into that topic, but I think really aligned today is there was another study that I read um, this week, Scott, actually, that was talking about an increased risk of substance abuse among non-binary and transgender populations. Ties in really well with that invalidation of gender topic. It, a lot of individuals, you know, that have experienced substance abuse, it is coming from a place in non-binary and transgender populations where their gender is invalidated, causing them to get to a place where they are using. And, you know, substance abuse coupled with mental health diagnoses, they significantly could lead to severe displays of mental right. health related behaviors. So, you know, Scott, we talk about substance abuse, uh, you know, every now and then in our experiences, but... How can individuals suffering substance abuse begin to have a shift in their approach to one, admit that they do in fact have substance abuse in play in their life and two, willingly receive the necessary help to get better? And, and I think that's the question we should all ask ourselves. Absolutely. Again, that's why there are mental health specialists out there, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, uh, practitioner, because they're in touch with the medical community where our only touch for the most part is through our doctor. Okay. Um, they're interested in you being healthy from head to toe, everything from your heart to your head. Right. And walking around with anything that you are not willing and able to express can be very, uh, self-destructive. It truly can be because you are becoming part of the problem, not a part of the solution. We are here for such a short period of time. And I think it's up to, it's up to us and each other to be able to put this out there to be able to have the idea that it's okay to express oneself. That's where the rainbow comes in. You follow me? The rainbow is a collection of colors of all of the spectrum. And that's why the LGBTQ community, uh, and of that community, by the way, the least visible, despite its sizable population, is bisexual. Julia, can you talk to us about that? We've got about two minutes. Uh, that is the largest and it's also um, perhaps the most closeted of them, right? I hadn't actually realized that it was the largest population, but I'm not surprised that it's one of the largest closeted populations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I would speak to other bisexual people, every single one had had an experience where someone had invalidated their sexuality because there were a lot of people who would just openly say that, really, that someone is equally attractive to men and women 
And, you know, if you know anything about the Kinsey scale, basically the theory is that everyone's somewhere on the scale, right? You're not everyone is exactly straight or exactly gay. We're somewhere in between there. Just, I mean, let's just accept people as they are and they'll feel more free to be who they are in public. You know? No, I think that's the best part. You know, I, I introduced, uh, 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 those that, that save lives, the nurses football game last Saturday. I said, ladies and gentlemen, those that are standing here literally are the best of us. And they are because they've been putting themselves at the front line in the face of danger in this time of COVID. Well, sometimes we have to say that those that are, are, uh, being discriminated against, those are the best of us as well, because they are suffering the abuse of others, sometimes not even knowingly. And it, it undermines our very self. Agree. I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, Scott, truly the best of us is the best of you. If we can all focus in on being the best version of us, then we'll all be the best versions of us. And I think that life is really, really, really simple. We make it hard, but it starts with the self for sure. Kira, we've been uh, chatting for, I don't know how long, but is this the final segment we're going into or is this the end of the show? We have one more segment. Okay. Thank God. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes I get lost in the conversation. Hey, I truly it's, do. It's really easy to, it's a big topic. Tell you what, we're going to continue our conversation. Brooks Ford in studio today. Scott Casper with you as well. Kira Jones producing this program, doing an outstanding job. And our guest on the newsmaker hotline is a native Angelino. And what that means is that she's from Los Angeles, <laughs> <laughs> Julia Francis Vercella, and she'll be back with us. And we'll be back with you. Stay tuned. It's St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Stay tuned. There's more with Nick Learhoff and Scott Casper right here on Iowa's 940 for St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Iowa, we're listening. I can't say enough about the staff at St. Gregory's who seem especially gifted to work in this field. They were so helpful and encouraging and will always have my gratitude. I made some very good new friends, a couple of whom I probably would not have made it through those beginning days without. Everyone and the programs at St. Gregory seem designed and placed in my life by God's perfect plan. RelevantRadio.com slash St. Gregory. RelevantRadio.com slash St. Gregory. Hey, welcome back to St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the clear off with a week off. I'm Scott Casper, Scott Bruxfort. Yeah, two guys named Scott in studio. He's our uh, very much uh, appreciated new guest co-host. When Nick is unavailable to be here, then we also then pull in the resources of Bruxford and company. And when I say in company, that's a media experience, right? It is something like that. You know, we, we love shooting content. We love doing photography and videography. And it's, it's just a blessing to be able to serve the Des Moines community with it. And it's a blessing to have you in the studio and talk about what the, uh, the topic is today. And with that, we're going to talk about, uh, we'll get to cure in just a moment, but gender invalidation and the mental health outcomes. It can be a, uh, a big topic truly is we're not solving anything here today other than perhaps opening somebody's ears or eyes. And we have a question being posed by our producer. She is Kira Jones. Kira, go ahead. You're on hi. the live line. Hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we were talking a little bit about substance abuse Mm -hmm. in the lgbt community right um and 
Scott and Julia, I want to know what you guys think about there being very little sober spaces for the LGBT community. Because, you know, we've got clubs and bars, but there's always alcohol. Sometimes there might be other illicit substances involved. Um, and I know that's been like a, uh, a point of contention seems a little strong, but it's being discussed a little more, especially as younger and younger people start coming out and exploring themselves in their gender and sexual identities. So I wanted to talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I can feel that first. You know, I, I think one, it's difficult to find a lot of sober spaces anywhere, Kira, you know, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum. But I definitely see where you're coming from, uh, especially in the Des Moines area. I'd, I'm personally saying I can't think of many sober spaces for a nice weekend activity that are specifically tailored for our LGBTQ plus community. But, you know, that's something that definitely needs to continue to be a discussion. I know that we we have we have plenty of space in Des Moines to make, uh, you know, some nice sober art events uh, out there. We, we could definitely start that discussion. And Scott, you know, I mean, it, it's important that we provide these sober spaces for individuals. Well, and I'm going to bring into the conversation as well. Julia, why do you think there is so few opportunities for people to gather, no matter their sexuality, but that don't uh, places that are safe or described as being safe? and alcohol-free or drug-free. Why do you think that is, is that these more of a comment on the condition? I really think it might be, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, it's really interesting. I, uh, speaking of studies, I read a study that said that women are more likely to drink wine because it's actually marketed to women through TV shows. Hmm. Um, if you watch a show that a woman is on, you will see her with a glass of wine at some point. So this is, I mean, a lack of sobriety is marketed to us from every direction. I will see that, um, I will say that it's becoming more and more common for people to be sober. And so I think we're starting to see that shift a little bit, but I will say that in the gay community, there aren't a ton of sober spaces. And I feel like Especially when a person first enters that community, they're looking for this liberating experience, and it's all like I don't. It's always a club. We do need to open that up though, and have some different opportunities for people to socialize in a sober way. And and you know, I guess I I hadn't ever really thought about that until Kira brought it up. So thanks, Kira. Now I have something else to add. <laughs> My plate gets any more full, I'm gonna have to move the potatoes off. Okay, That's or add it. a fourth meal. Oh, I need that like a hole in the head. Um, lesbian and gay, a lesbian, gay, and heterosexual people are invested, okay, uh, in their communities for the most part and find a sense of security in being in each other's lives. Would you talk about that, uh, Julia? Because I think that's true. We, we tend to uh, gather with people uh, with self, um, in other words, they view themselves very similar to how we view ourselves. And is that a, a sense of comfort we're seeking or what? Um, I actually think it's just, it's simple brain anatomy and chemistry. So when we connect with another human being, our brain just lights up with activity and we're getting chemical, like positive chemical feedback from that. Um, it's so comforting. I actually read a study about the, the blue zones where people live the longest in the world. And they studied them, they studied their behaviors, 
And scientists were so confused. Their diets are different. Their lifestyles are different. What's the one thing that they all had in common? It's that they were meeting in a community space. Is there and so that human connection is so vitally important to us. Uh, so so if, if you see somebody that, um, or you're having a conversation with somebody that has identified as being bisexual, do we often equate being bisexual with being hypersexual? Oh, absolutely, Scott. Um, one of one of the one of the more common things that I've experienced since coming out as bisexual and then coming out as non-binary is people automatically assume that I've slept with a lot of men as soon as I say that I'm bisexual. Okay. And you know, it's the it's the hypersexualization that's put on a portion of the spectrum. You know, we talked about the spectrum a little bit earlier and you spoke about the rainbow and it's a it's a wide spectrum. Yeah. And there are many, many, many levels to all of the orientations. Mm -hmm. And that's where it just comes back into, as Julia said, you know, do your research, check Google, learn how to have these conversations, you know, develop friendships with individuals that are on the spectrum and then got it. And through those processes of learning more, now you can be more inclusive, more sensitive in your language and approach. And it really helps these individuals feel more accepted. Mm. And I think it's worth noting that of hypersexualization is present with all Males identities. And male and females, no mm -hmm. matter the... Um, like, for example, lesbians are, of course, super hypersexualized uh, for reasons <laughs> that we probably can't go into. Um, if you ever, like, personally, I've noticed that if I ever see especially a young gay couple in a TV show, at some point they're going to be making out with each other, like hot and heavy. It's really me that that is the case. I've, I don't think I've seen a like regular, let's just sit on the couch in our pajamas and watch TV together relationship portrayed between two people of the same gender. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I get that. And Julie, how about you? What are your thoughts? Um, I've absolutely had that experience. When I was identifying as bisexual, I would say that exclusively straight men would really fetishize that sexuality. Like they absolutely just came in with assumptions about <laughs> just being hypersexual. And I really felt um, almost like a dehumanizing experience. Mm. It's almost like the joke that's half told, right? You're always waiting for that punchline or the next to drop or the next foot to fall. Um, sometimes we seek to close the gap in the circle when, in fact, they keep moving. The you understand what I'm saying? It's, I do. There is a there is a conversation. It is about the human condition. I believe it's about life itself. Um, again, such a short period of time. There are there are no real handbooks that go with who you are. You're writing it every single minute of every single day. And it's that which we, I think we, we, we search out those that are much like us. We may have differing political opinions, uh, different religious opinions uh, or spiritual opinions. I believe that's true. But so as we identify with somebody that looks the same as we do, or at least outwardly expresses themselves the same as we do, then we are really missing out on what's the true person, what's inside. 
so much more to the picture, Scott. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate that I got to go to college and, you know, get outside of the the Iowa area and meet people that were different than me. And, you know, it, I, I think that this is without a doubt been one of the more enjoyable experiences of being in a partnership with Julia is, mm -hmm. you know, she poses questions. She gets to know me and it's these questions that make an individual feel seen and that just creates a safe space for all individuals. And, you know, that's in experience, you know, you, you've been, you've been all the way out in California where you're, you're in Des Moines now, but what was your experience like in Los Angeles in terms of, you know, I would imagine that you were in much more of a diverse and inclusive area than what I grew up in, in, you know, small town, Mitchellville, Iowa. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I grew up, um, with a diverse group of people. I went to school with a diverse group of people. I went to school with me, did not look like me. And that was a really great experience and made it really easy to be comfortable traveling to places. I was pretty surprised though, I will tell you that, so I graduated from high school in 2009. And at the time I could count on one hand how many out gay individuals there were at my school. And there were about students who attended the school and I do think that that's changed a lot as time has gone on my brother's just four years younger than me but um that he went to the same school he said the situation has changed but it's really unbelievable that even in Los Angeles kids were feeling that pressure and were feeling uncomfortable being out well it's up to us to change the narrative okay that's why we're having this conversation today things you, you should examine your own thoughts and attitudes towards bisexuality or whatever the sexual orientation is that you identify. It's easy to become and be complicit in biphobia and if you're aware of your unconscious bias, it truly is. If you find and acknowledge any presidential, pre, pre, not presidential, <laughs> pre, can you say that word for me? Prejudicial? Yes, prejudicial. Why, why am I having trouble with those words today? Words are hard. They, they are. They are. Words are hard. Tendencies um, <laughs> can challenge the thoughts. And that's what I'm talking about. Don't assume a person's sexual orientation based on their partners. Ask them if you so are so inclined. If you witness a casual biphobic joke, call it out instead of being silent. Because if you are silent, you again are part of the problem, not the solution. Make room for bisexual people within the LGBT, above all, respect everybody's identity enough to support and validate the terms that they choose for themselves. I appreciate your time today, Julie. I hope your trip to uh, Chicago is uh, rewarding and that you come back with some outstanding photography. Oh, thank you so much. And if people want to get in touch with you, tell them how to do that. Find me on Instagram. My fine art Instagram is at Julia Francis Vericella. And I actually just started a private company for my client photography called 33rd Street Photography. And you can find me on Instagram there as well. 33rd Street? 33rd Street yes. Photography. Yep. Street. Okay. It was their first home and she's excited about it. Right? But you can you can also find us at the Barnum Factory on 97 Indiana Avenue or book a session priceofahug.com if you would like to give with us as well. Outstanding topic today. We're only uh, scratching the surface. Hopefully we'll be able to scratch what it in future episodes. 
Scott Casper for Kerry Jones. Do me a favor. Uh, tune in to this program live online at talktherapytmhs.com. For Nick Learhoff, Scott Casper, Scott Bruxford, and Kerry Jones, thanks for listening to Iowa's Hope 940.